This is Womb, the podcast that celebrates the power of rebirth. I'm your host, Nova Cobbin, and on this show, we'll hear from amazing women who dared to rediscover who they are. Women who reignited long-lost passions, took bold leaps of faith, and reimagined their futures in ways they never thought possible. Each week, we'll be inspired by the stories of strength, courage, and resilience. Stories that remind us it's never too late to start anew. There are always second chances, new beginnings, and opportunities for rebirth. So join us as we explore the journeys of phenomenal women who reinvented themselves and created the lives they've always dreamed of. Welcome to Womb Rebirth. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Womb the Rebirth podcast. I am here today with the delightful Shari Tiegman. Um, hello, Shari. Hello, lovely lady. I'm very excited to be here despite my croaky morning voice. Morning I, for you. I think it's allergies, not morning, but this is a little scratchy and we'll just go with it. You sound lovely as always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Shari, would you like to give us an introduction to you and what it is that you do? Sure. So it's funny because this answer changes every time I give it. So anyone listening, know you can reinvent yourself every time someone asks you. Um, so I am a performance mentor and creative strategist. I help people get unstuck in both their life and business. So I like to say I take the non-average Joes and Janes because nobody's average, but we can feel it sometimes and help them unleash their inner maverick. So find their individuality, find their path in all areas and really stick to the blueprint that works for them rather than the templates and the noise of, you know, the outside world. And Sherry and I have known each other quite a long time now, and uh, I can testify to how brilliant you are because you've helped me with a lot of things. Um, and, uh, and and it's lovely to have you here today and to hear more about you because you've heard a lot about me in our sessions. Yes. Not so much about you. My turn, as I just said to Nova before we recorded. So this is basically a therapy session for me that we're recording and I'm totally fine with it. So we're going to just dive in. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to start wherever you would like to start. But obviously somewhere along the journey where you felt like things really needed to change, where would you like to take us first? This is fascinating because I joked before we recorded, but it's true. I said, how long do we have? Because I have so many of these moments and I want to share that because, you know, it's very easy to look at other people and grab the parts of them that work for you and not look at all the other stuff, which is reality. And it's lovely to be inspired by people, but everyone has a real story. And most of us, self-included, still struggle with a lot of it, even in the midst of the growth and the rebirth. So there's always another birth canal to go through. So for me, I'd say there were three pivotal moments and I'm going to start, I'll start where I am now and I'll work backwards just so that people can understand the timeline rather than the, there's no rags to riches story here, but there's a development of a person unearthing herself. So I'd say the first transformation happened about two, yeah, actually two years ago this month. Um, I've been in business, January, it'll be 10 years, amazingly blows my mind. And I was always solo. I had a couple of assistants that I probably broke with my creativity and chaos. Um, and it was just me doing my thing, coaching, loving people, as you can tell from my accent, I'm not British, although my insides are. Um, I live right outside New York City and I've been working remotely with Brits for nine of my 10 years of business. I don't know how it happened, but it did. I love you guys. You love me. So it all works. Um, and I travel back and forth. COVID obviously changed that. And post-COVID, um, a mentor of mine that I had worked with years before reached out to me uh, 
on a Facebook messenger. I woke up, woke up on a Monday morning and offered me the role to head up his coaching department up in Sully Hall. And this sounds like a funny place for a transformational rebirth. But for me, it was a real moment of my whole brand's about being a maverick because I am one. And it's been my journey to keep getting off of everyone's track and be the individual that I've always been and made a lot of mistakes in my life due to not listening to my intuition and just following what I thought everyone else wanted me to do. So when this offer came in, and it was a perfect time for me, and you'll hear why in my second transformation, um, but it created a real identity, I won't say crisis, but real identity questioning time period, because there was a beautiful opportunity in front of me, one that I wouldn't have looked for, one that I wouldn't have thought was right for me. And I had to really face almost growing up as a business owner, not being able to, I, I love to stand, I still say it, I love to tell I'm unemployable. And now I'm, I'm a consultant, but I'm more employed than I ever thought I would be. And learning how to rein in my creativity and all of the things that I see about myself as things that I'm proud of, that took me a long time to unearth in myself, do I then have to follow someone else's rules? And it was a really interesting rebirth because I had to reconcile myself to myself. There wasn't anyone from the outside. It was, who do I want to be going forward? And what does that mean for who I've been and what I've stood for? Do I have to change that? Do I get to take myself along for the ride, which is what's happened? Um, will I be understood? Which I don't know that I didn't, I didn't realize that I was, I'm 49 now, I was 47, to worry that someone was going to take myself away from me again after it's taken me all these years to find myself again. I was protecting myself so much that when a wonderful opportunity came in, it scared me that I would lose myself again. And that kind of revisited all the other times that I didn't notice when I lost myself. So it was a really interesting choice for me to make because for the first time, there wasn't a right or wrong here. There wasn't a bad marriage I needed to leave or decision to make for my kids or someone else needed me to do something. So I, of course, stepped up and did it. This was the first time I stepped up for myself and made a grown-up choice that I knew would have consequences one way or the other, and I couldn't control them. And that was very scary for me because in the moment it was the right decision. But I guess because of what I've been through in my life, I always look much further ahead, which of course causes lots of anxiety because we can't know what's going to happen. But when you have a very creative mind, we don't need anyone else to create a disaster for us. You know, my creativity causes the biggest monsters I can think of in my brain. Like I don't need anyone else's coloring book. I have my own. So, you know, I watched myself have to step into self-trust, which I had thought that I had before. But you know, when you visit it again, you're like, oh, I didn't have it last time. Like now, I, now this is, I really have to test this. So I'd say that was my first rebirth. And it was an interesting one because anyone from the outside would have wished for that opportunity. Like, how are you not grateful? Of course, I was grateful. I took the role. It's been wonderful. It's been transformational to face myself again and again. But it was an interesting thing, especially when you work with people all day long, like we do, to watch what other people feel inside of me. Like if, if a client came to me like that, we'd work through the pros and the cons, figure out what the right move was, but it doesn't feel like that from the inside. It felt like a birthing process alone. I was my own doula. I, I was my own midwife. I had to talk myself up and down through I, each piece of it was believable, which way to go was believable. And sitting in the unknown is something that I struggle with. So I guess, you know, to use your analogy, I stayed in the birth canal probably longer than I needed to, 
at first I thought I was resting and what I was doing was hiding. And it was a really interesting self-awareness exercise that couldn't have come from anything but outside to really test what I felt inside. So I'd say that was number one. Wow. Wow. And I really resonate with that idea of, am I going to be able to take myself with me into this role? And I think a lot of people struggle with when they take on a new role or when they take on any role at all, there is a piece of them that they potentially give up to take that on board. And that can be quite scary. Like, what am I going to have to leave behind to take this on? And the ideal thing is finding a way to bring yourself with you at the same time, of course. And that takes a good team, right? And a team that are accepting of that as well. Exactly. And also, you know, it's, we see this as growth, I think, especially for women, we're, we're taught to use our masculinity for achievement and to be in the right rooms and to figure this stuff out. And then our feminine comes up right in the moment is like, I, I need to nurture myself and I don't know if I'll be able to. So which one am I picking? Am I picking the achievement track or am I pitching, picking the nurturing track? And especially at this stage of life when you know our bodies are changing, our hormones make us think differently. We're not sure who we are in general, let's be honest then the outside identities can sometimes feel like a salve or they can feel like a jail. And because I'm so damn self-aware sometimes, I can't just do something without that sportscaster on my shoulder pointing out all of the ways this can go, some some positive, some things I want to make sure I look at for myself, but also some of them old coping skills that I don't need anymore and I don't need to go through that. I didn't have to have an identity crisis to make that decision. And I actually, that's what I stopped and made sure it didn't happen was like, this doesn't have to be an unearthing again. Like you can just be who you are and decide and speak up for yourself and put boundaries in place and declare what you've done before without an ego, but just to be recognized while you morph and change. And I think that's what a lot of us struggle with without knowing what the struggle is. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's when we get caught in that birth canal. We're sort yeah. of, is it hiding or is it resting? And and you're right. right. We can fool ourselves sometimes that we're just, just going to stop here for a while and just let everything yeah. integrate. And, and, and actually you're right. It, and it is sometimes just, we're hiding from that. We're like, shit's scared. But <laughs> exactly. You're surrounded by wrappers and ice cream and Netflix. We're not resting. Are we really resting? And then <laughs> For me, it was a real pivotal point, and you'll hear it from my second rebirth story, is how tired we are when we make the decisions. And I mean soul tired. I don't mean physically tired, although physically tired comes with soul tired. You know, entrepreneurs and women especially, we wear this pride thing of how many times we can burn out and it becomes a contest. Is like, where are you making your decisions from? What are you looking to escape from when we choose a new label or a new hat? And what would it mean if we just untethered ourselves from all of it? How do we then figure out how to fit back in without having to wear a new role, but being able to do new cool things? And this is, um, I still, as it goes, I still struggle with this because I love the playfulness and curiosity and adventure of it. And I also crave a lot of safety. So I'm like my own dichotomy in the midst. I'll throw myself off the bridge, but also freak out from getting out of the car and make sure I had my seatbelt buckled. So, you know, it's a really interesting personality to have when you've got old stuff and then also this very visionary kind of way of being when there isn't stuff in the room so uh, all of my stuff comes up at these pivotal decision making things because I never know which one I'm going to believe more because they're both real for me yes yes definitely and I, and I think you said that earlier on as well like both things are true that you're you're living in that dichotomy all the time yeah and then and having- 
Yeah. I don't need anyone else's permission. And for a long time, when I was younger, through my teens, in my early 20s, before my divorce, I used everyone else's opinion because they seemed much more sure of me than I was. So I was like, oh, they must know, they must know better than I do. No, they just sounded more sure than I was. No, I'm not saying they were all wrong, but because I didn't understand the conversation internally, I would use what anyone said because it sounded like a good path. They weren't wrong about that. It just wasn't mine. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So take us to your to your next rebirth moment. So my next rebirth, uh, let's go back to, it's been a very interesting few years. <clears throat> let's talk about September 2020. So we are knee deep in the fabulous global pandemic that was COVID. Mm-hmm. Still feels like it didn't happen. Um, I had my eldest child was uh, living at his dad's at the time in uni. And my younger son in August went to a gap year in Israel in the middle of a pandemic because his uni was going to be online and all of his friends were going. We kind of made a decision for him to have any sort of experience, at least being quarantined in another country. It ended up being a great decision for him. But um, as a mom of two kids and motherhood is my favorite role I'll never take away. That was a lot uh, because obviously we couldn't travel. So I couldn't hide in all the things that distract me from empty nest. And I was left at home, like with a void, like the airplane window opened and just everything was sucked out. I'm very close with my parents. They live in Miami. I live right outside New York City. I hadn't seen them in nine months, which has never happened in my life. My son left and I was on the phone with my dad and my dad, who's very Brooklyn and very funny, said, listen, Cher, if I'm going to catch COVID from touching a can of tuna in the supermarket, get on a plane. It is what it is. We'll be careful. You know, I can, we're all going to, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I don't want to miss out on seeing you. So music to my ears, although I was nervous, gloves, a mask, a shield, the whole thing. I went all the way in for their sake. I get on the plane, which was such a surreal experience. And I get to my parents with a little carry-on bag. And I am intended to go there for a week. The my, um, I grew up re- religious Jewish. My parents are observant. And uh, the Jewish New Year was around that time. So I was going to be at my parents right before the Jewish New Year. I was coming home. My nephew was getting married uh, three weeks, uh, a month later. So I, COVID outside with masks. And so I was in charge of going to see my parents, coming home and prepping their apartment that they have at home for a quarantine. So like everything was planned down to the day. The Jewish holidays, making sure they could get back and then be able to celebrate their grandson's wedding, their first grandson's wedding. How exciting. Okay. So I go down there, hang out with my parents and I work when I'm down there because I can work from anywhere. They live right on the beach. So I go for a walk after work. And my parents have um, a uh, patio, a a big terrace, and you could see them from the boardwalk. So I walk back and they're adorable. They're like sitting waiting for me. They're waving dramatically. So I go up to sit on the terrace with them at night, which we do every night. It's beautiful looking out at the ocean. I'm, I'm very emotional and I got that all from my father. My mom is a single child, an only child of a Holocaust survivors and didn't really have a childhood. Her parents were very close with her. They were very open about what had happened. And so she was a mini adult. She was the one who spoke English. They only spoke Polish and Yiddish. She was born in a displaced persons camp, came over to America at a year and a half old. So like at five, she's translating tax papers for my parents. Like, so you've got someone who's very high achieving, very type A, emotional, very loving, but not mushy because you just get on with stuff. 
So we're sitting and I turn to my mother, I hear a noise that I don't think I've ever heard in my life. And she's crying. My mom's not the crier. My dad and I cry at adverts. So I was like, mom, what's going on? She's like, I need you to stay. So I said, stay where? She's like, I need you to stay here with me. So I said, but mom, we have you. I mean, you scheduled it. We've got this chaotic, wonderful month coming up. You're coming. I'm going home. I'm going to see you next week. You're flying home after the holiday. She's crying. She squeezes my hand. And in Hebrew, there's a phrase called bikuach nefesh, which means to save a life. So according to Jewish tradition, you can do anything. You can drive on Sabbath. You can eat non-kosher food. You can do whatever you need to do if it's to save a life. Not like my mother to start quoting biblical stuff. So I said, be cool. I'm like, Ma, you're being a little dramatic. Like it's so out of character. And my dad's looking at me. I'm looking at him. She's squeezing my hands, like imploring me with tears coming down. You have to stay. You have to stay. I'm like, oh, I never seen her upset. So I was like, okay, I'll stay. So I go, I, I promise you I'll stay. I can work remotely anyway. No one's home. I don't really want to go home. So the next morning I changed my flight. I was supposed to leave on a Thursday. I changed my flight to leave on the following Monday. So I gave her a few more days. I could still get home to take care of everything. This was Tuesday. I changed my flight. Thursday, my mom had a stroke. She was completely fine. I wouldn't have been there. She waited until my, I got there to take care of my dad and figure this all out. And with a carry-on bag, I then had the most transformational nine and a half months, another birth in canal, um, of nursing my mom back to health. And the most miraculous stuff happened in the hospital. You, I, I don't, you wouldn't even believe me if I described it, but what I needed at that time was a slowdown. Um, I was very burnt out. I was working nonstop. I was working with a coach who was working on slow, slowing me down and it wasn't working. And in an instant, my entire existence changed. My priorities changed. Love the mother role. And I mothered my mom back to health. My kids weren't there. I, I was stripped away of everything. The hospitals were impossible to get into. Uh, we were very lucky. They let us into the ICU. I slept there. I didn't even leave. I like went off the matrix. I didn't leave for four days so that I couldn't have to worry about, didn't have to worry about signing in and signing out. And my mom thanks me for giving her the gift of life, but she gave me the gift of life too. She gave me myself back. Um, and I just, everything screeched to a halt. I watched her breathe. I watched every nuance. I watched my father and hers love. They've been together since they're 12 and 15. So like watching the love that they had opened me up to realize what I wasn't allowing to receive in my life. And it was the most terrifying, beautiful experience I've ever had. Uh, getting to know my mom at a much more primal level without her overachievement and take care of everything. I mean, she didn't know where she was. She didn't know who she was. She was funny. She was lost. She was deep. I had to like retrain, potty train my mom. Like there was just, it was me. My dad was there, but it was too hard for him parts of it. So like it was me and it was the most beautiful experience. And I feel so honored to have had it because it changed everything in me. And she, she doesn't even remember a lot of it because, you know, how brains work. And it was like, it all happened in a perfect storm to create the space that I needed, which is then why the job opportunity came two months after I got home. It was because I made space and was allowed to receive. It was, I'm explaining it and it probably sounds wow. And I'll tell you, if I told you all the many stories inside of it, you, I don't even believe what happened while I was there. I mean, I, I remember following the journey in the, it, just from the parts that you did sort of talk about. And I, I remember just thinking how incredible that 
you were and your mum was and kind of seeing her recover and um, just a, a beautiful, beautiful kind of story, but also incredibly scary because, you know, it's your mum and, and you don't know how to help and what's going on. And I remember one of the sort of side stories that maybe you're talking about was around the birds outside. You had I can't believe you remember. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. and they and and they 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 even sort of reappeared when she moved rooms. Right? Yep. Was that yep. is that right? Yes. So we were in the hospital in the intensive care, and these two pigeons came every single day to her window. Um, and like I said, my mom's an only child, and her and her parents were a unit. And uh, probably gonna cry. And um, I never realized because I sat staring outside that window for hours. Pigeons have a tiny heart on their beaks. Uh, it's like they're gray and black and they have this white little look on their nose. That's a heart. And a heart is my symbol with my grandmother. So I'll be walking down the street and there'll be like a little heart glitter or a heart carved out in a tree or in a cloud. So this is my grandmother died when I was 18. She was my best friend. And she sends me these all the time. And I'm looking at these two birds and they have two hearts on their noses. And it became an ongoing joke. Baba and Zaida, how you say grandmother, grandma and grandpa in Yiddish are by the window. So at the first couple of days, my dad who's very funny and uses humor in stressful situations like I do. So it was a very funny room. Uh, my mom's in a coma, has no idea what's going on. And these birds came every single day, rain, shine, didn't matter. And then when after seven weeks, I think I don't even remember now, when she moved out of ICU into a regular room, completely different part of the hospital. The first morning, I open up the windows, the shade, and the two birds are set. I don't know if they're the same ones, but in my head they are. The birds were there. And then we moved her to a rehab place and the birds came with us there. So like, I mm -hmm. don't believe in accidents in general, but even this one was a bit much for me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just I remember reading that and just sort of getting chills thinking, you know, that's small but significant. And there were so many small it's exactly it was small but significant that I grew up religious and I have a lot of faith, even though I'm less observant than I used to be. But it was like life was in slow motion and the mm -hmm. presence of God, universe, whatever you like to believe, was so obvious in the room. That even in the moment of this terror that I didn't know was going to happen, I was so grateful to not feel alone in it that yeah. I was sad I never slowed down enough to feel this on a regular day. And don't think I haven't gone straight back to my chaos and busyness and thinking I'm in charge of my life and that I can control fate. Like I watched tiny little miracles on a day to day basis. The right doctor in the room, the right hospital we ended up at. Um, I was with my mom when she had the stroke. Originally, she didn't have the stroke till she was in the hospital. So she had a seizure in her friend's car. We didn't know what it was for five days. They didn't know what it was. And because they, we couldn't get a test for some reason for four days, she ended up having the stroke and then they found it. Had they had the test when we needed it, we wouldn't have found it. Like I'm telling you these micro miracles, like yeah. a combination lock unlocking. It was so surreal that I wish I could bottle it and put it on a mantle to remind me every day how miraculous this world is when I forget. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that goes on all the time and we are just not exactly. slowed down enough exactly. to see exactly. it. While I sit in my anxious mess of how I'm going to control the world and figure everything out, like, I don't need to. I'm actually not the best person for the job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you talked about 
you know, life was in slow motion. I think that that when when you are in some big thing that's happening, it does. I think it does feel like everything is just going really slowly because you're so attuned to like every moment of pain and uh, and hope and faith and all of those tiny things become massive stretches of time like you're just living in because you're living in the moment right you you have to be in the moment there is no other option this is not you're you're watching someone choose life or death I mean there's no faster way to slow this down make everything unimportant instantly Mm -hmm. yes yeah and how I feel bad for her that she missed it because it was so transformational did she have any kind of recollection of the time when she was in a coma she doesn't remember anything from the hospital. And while, I mean, it's a miracle she's alive and she's she's incredible. Like to her, she doesn't feel like herself, but my mom was 200% before. So she's probably like 150% now. Um, so she, you tell her something, she's totally present and then she doesn't remember it the next day. Um, so we've told her the stories, the funny stories, the interesting stories, the beautiful ones, and it's, she doesn't remember them. So on one hand, she gets frustrated by it, but it's also then so beautiful because to me, I feel like it was there for me. She did this for yeah. us to reconnect in a way that we all, you know, for my my dad has always loved her. We have a beautiful family, but it was just like a reminder of how precious life is. And I guess she didn't need the reminder because she doesn't remember any of it, which is so mm-hmm. surreal because she was the at the epicenter of it which yeah. I'm glad she doesn't. It would have been very hard. She's, you know, the identity stuff has come afterwards, not feeling like herself, like she's had enough of it. But this all happened and it wasn't for her to be part of, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow, love that way of looking at fascinating. it. Yeah, so fascinating. So you said that, I mean, and I can see how transformational that kind of experience would be, but so who were you after that? I was unidentified, I think, for the first time in my life because I was terrified to leave them. They were doing great. Everything was fine. She got home from the hospital end of November, beginning of, I don't even remember now, end of November, she got back and I came home. My son was, I couldn't go visit Israel because they weren't letting people in. So he came home June 1st. So I stayed with my parents. I left two weeks before he was coming home just to kind of regulate myself. And I'm not great with change. So I was terrified to leave. I've never been good with change. I love growth, but I don't like the change bits because mm-hmm. I'm so intuitive. Even goodbyes are very hard for me because I know I, know I can feel that nothing will ever be the same in that moment. You'll never feel that close to that person. The experiences you have, even on holidays, like I get sad when I leave, I get sad when I go. I'm just not a good transitioner. Um, mm-hmm. I just see too much in the world at that time. I can't be present in it. So I was terrified to leave because I'd been watching my mom breathe for nine months. I knew every pill she had to take. I noticed she had an issue with her eye when everyone else was telling me she didn't. And she ended up almost needing surgery. Like I was so tuned in it. But the only thing I could explain it to is taking your baby to school for the first time. Like Mm -hmm. they're not going to know how to take care of it. It was that exact feeling. So I was stepping out of that and coming home to an empty house, which I wasn't thrilled with. And I had not, I'm not the same person anymore. So I came home and weirdly, I've been living in my house, in my apartment since I got divorced, which is, I was 2009, furniture all the same. And it was like a, a, like a shrine to who me and my kids were at that time. And something strange, when I was at my parents, I decided I needed to redecorate. Why at that time, Nova, I have no idea, but 
I now know it was, I needed to change the energy. I couldn't come back to the old place, the new person I was. So I came home and threw myself into selling all my furniture, painted within three weeks, my entire apartment was totally transformed because I actually couldn't breathe here. And I didn't realize until I left. So changed my flat, my son came home. And again, two months later, the job offer came in. And I sat in this in-between place for a while, which I have to say three years, two years later, I still am in sometimes. I don't mm-hmm. think I've gone completely back to who I was. I'm still figuring out who I want to be, which I'm proud to say publicly. You know, I do what I do and help people do this every day. How could I not give myself that same opportunity? Um, you know, I know that a coach, a therapist would be afraid to say that out loud because for some reason, people think we're the ones who are supposed to have it all figured out. But the thing is more, we understand the human condition better than anyone, which means we get the transformation inside, outside on a daily basis. Um, So I've really tried to allow myself to be unwritten, which I forget a lot of the time. So thank you for the reminder today. I needed it. (laughs) You're welcome. Okay. So take us to your final story. So now we're going to rewind and we're going to go back to 2007 to 2009 and out of respect for my ex-husband and my children their story and version is theirs so I'm very careful to speak publicly because I believe everything happens for a reason and it was the hardest time in my life I grew up in a very Stepford perfect little life a little Jewish community right outside New York City suburban but right near the city so you've got a mix of both And I loved how I grew up. I loved my religious upbringing. I was, you know, biggest cheerleader for it all. And um, to make a long story short, I married the wrong person. And I felt like I was in somebody else's life. And I naively thought that I could just raise my hand and tap out. I didn't know what I wanted. I just knew this wasn't working for me. I had a moment where I was watching one of my son's birthday parties at the time. My kids were five and seven. And um I was watching a video of my son's birthday party and I'm very sentimental. So the day after the birthday party, I'm rewatching it to be proud of proud again. And I was holding plates and I dropped the plates and they smashed on the floor because I saw completely dead eyes and I was a shell of myself and I had no idea. I had thrown myself into building my kids a school. I was a stay at home mom. I love motherhood more than anything. Um, my relationship was never really something that I, it wasn't the right relationship. So I didn't have a partner in that. I felt like a single mom, even when I was married and I hadn't slowed down. You see the theme here to take a noticing of who I was. And I was horrified because there wasn't going to be anything left of me if I stayed. So this took me years to reconcile. I still struggle with it a bit. The shame that I have about how naive I was, that I thought I could just walk out of a life and everything was going to be fine. I didn't work. I didn't have any money. I had no idea how it was going to happen. But I grew up in a traditional relationship, family, and then I was in a traditional relationship. I don't know. I didn't think about where money came from. I was blessed to not have to. And probably till about last year, I couldn't even say that out loud. Um, But I now know that that naivete saved my life and catapulted me to the life that I was meant to have. So while I'm ashamed of it, I'm grateful for it at the same time. And this was, I was running from who, what I didn't want. And what I saw in front of me was totally black. I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what I wanted. I had no idea what was going to happen. I had these two beautiful little boys. No one in my life had ever done this. 
And I thought my whole life would stay the same. I would just remove the partner that wasn't a good partner for me. And I'd have my same life. And that was completely wrong. So along with that, I removed most of the friends that I had, most of the beliefs and understandings, habits and behaviors at the same time. And I was a complete blank canvas. And I could not handle the silence of my own mind. So I would listen to music and have the TV on and put podcasts in my ears, anything to not be silent, which is so crazy because of what I do now. But it was the way I had to find my way. And there was a girl that I went to high school with who posted what I now know was a summit on Facebook. And she's a personal organizer, but kind of like a Marie Kondo. She helps you find joy. I didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, oh, something else to pop in my ears. Um, I messaged her a couple of years later. She was a few years older than me. I didn't know her well. And I said, you changed my life and you don't even know it. So I signed on to this summit because to me it was noise, which was perfect. And I fell down the rabbit hole of personal development. I'm like, oh my God, there are people like me in the world. I didn't know that there were. I was always the loud one, the jester, the dancer on the table, the funny one, the take care of everyone. I had no idea there was an inner world that I hadn't explored except I was being dragged there by my nose in darkness. Mm -hmm. So um, I went on my own road, hired a coach. First one said no to me, which terrified me. I was like, well, I'm paying you money. And you said no. Again, another wonderful lesson. She wasn't the right fit. And I'm very grateful to that. She introduced mm -hmm. me to someone and I not only transformed myself, but I realized this is what I wanted to do. So then I trained for a year in yoga and in coaching because I don't do things halfway. So let's just throw myself right over. And um, that's how this all started. But I had to completely lose everything that I knew to be true. Every pathway and blueprint that I had of what life looks like, what motherhood looks like, what family looks like, what religion looks like. And I had to take it all away when that was the only thing I knew in order, not even knowing that I was looking for something, if there's something for me, it's going to be in the darkness. So I've got to go into the dark. And like, yeah, it sounds like a nice, pretty thing. So I'm on the other side, but it could not be less pretty. It was messy. It was horrible. There was a couple of fun years of tequila in the middle of it. There was um, a couple of years of medication to keep me steady. I didn't, couldn't even write my name. I laid on the floor after dropping my kids off at school just to be able to be the best mom I could be when I didn't know who else I was. I mean, I call my kids my lighthouses because they were the only light that I saw. And I wouldn't let anyone win to bring me down. That's, you know, on my spite and grit is the only reason I stayed on this earth for a chunk of time. So I could say now that I'm proud of myself, but I can also say that if I knew what was coming, I don't know that I could have chosen it. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's the benefit of being unwritten or kind of holding that blank page is that if you knew what was going to appear on that page in front of you, you'd be like, no, thanks. I'll just, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> that page out. I keep the crappy unknown. I know how to yeah. do this one. Yeah. And I guess that's the theme for me in all three for some reason. And I'm hoping to change this. So universe don't listen to me. It has to go dark before I make a choice. Mm -hmm. I have to get unwritten every time. This isn't a, oh, great opportunity. I just dive in. And maybe that's just how I process. And, and I want to share with the listeners, like you and I said earlier, you know, these transformations are beautiful to hear and listen to, especially when it's someone you may know from the public or want what they have or strive to be someone. But 
the gooey middle bits are the gooey middle bits, no matter what your name is, no matter what, you know, if it's in lights, if it comes with financial gain and all that, like the untethering is still absolutely terrifying every single time. I always wish a joke around, I don't know if you have this in the UK, but like here are the ice cream shops, you have like, you go 10 times in the 10th punch on the little card, you get an ice cream for free. Like I'm still waiting for like the next transformation for me to get to skip this part because I've done it so many times, but alas, I just know more, but I don't transform any differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's messy. It's scary. I go in my cave. I doubt everything about myself. I laugh about it now because I know what I'm doing, but I haven't yet changed how I do it. Have you seen, it reminds me what you're saying. Uh, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook, it was kind of like um, meme-esque in the way that it was kind of went a bit viral. The post about the baby being in the womb and going, oh, have you ever met mother? And no. it's like, uh, it's, it's a brilliant metaphor. So they're saying, well, if you, if you uh, met mother, it's like, oh, I don't think mother's real. It's like, but I hear her speaking. It's like, no, that's just a myth. There's nothing beyond the womb, you know, it doesn't exist. And they're having, these twins are having this conversation and you're like, oh my God, yes. When you are in that dark place, even if you're safe in that dark place, you don't know what's coming next. So that you have lack of faith. You can't believe in what you can't see. You feel like there's nothing more, nothing else is ha- going to happen. And that dark place can still be a safe place, but you don't know that it's a safe place when you're there. Yeah, and I, you know, an issue, one of the many issues I have with the personal development space is the whole positive vibes thing and everything's going to work out is like, that doesn't help in the moment. No, no. And it keeps me very present given who I am and who I've always been to make sure that I don't slide into that. Cause my cognitive bias now is personal development and tools and an understanding of what's possible and seeing people's journeys and my intuition that I could see stuff people can't see. But in the moment, I'm still that person. If old me met me now, I'd go nowhere near now me. Like I wouldn't be interested in what I have to say. So that keeps me very real when I work with people. It's why I'm very, well, I am just very raw and vulnerable. That's just who I am. But I think when people work with me, that's something I'm very Marmite. So you're either going to like it or not. But the people who do like it, like it because I'm not going to clean it up. Like like that darkness is darkness. Just because I could see your light doesn't mean that you do. And what you feel in there is just as real as when you come out and the next thing comes. So I get crazy when people try to shortcut these journeys because of some sanctimonious words, which may make someone feel better when they're scrolling on social media, but it doesn't make you feel better when you're sat in the darkness. Like I could help you with it, but it doesn't work for me. I mean, that's so unfair what we do to ourselves in the midst of it is like, we don't judge the beauty. So why do we judge the darkness where beauty comes from? Yeah. And I always think that it definitely takes like you kind of looking back on it. But even sometimes when I'm in the moment, there is there is still something beautiful about pain. There is something I like still pain. Beautiful. I don't like that. I don't. I mean, maybe that's why I keep doing this. But like, I like it. I feel like we work for it. I feel like we earn it. We get to be proud of ourselves. Sadness is when my most beautiful thoughts come. Like there was mm. that quote is like, when you're happy, you hear the music. When you're sad, you hear the words like. What a different experience we have in the world when we are in sadness or even in fear or shame. Like, it's just a different set of glasses. It's not right or wrong. It's just experiential. Yeah. I'm so terrified of it. I don't know why. I don't know what pretend happy does is much worse. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I think I already know the answer to this question then, but would you, would you give up the darkness if it meant that you could always have just the light? 
Unfortunately, no. I'm I'm wired for the birthing process, I think. I think I love the transformation too much to give it up. And I don't, this is going to sound terrible. I don't trust the happiness mm -hmm. because I don't think without the perspective and the differentiation, you can actually feel it. What I feel from such deep sorrow and pain and stuff I've been through enables me to go higher in how I love, what I appreciate. My gratitude is because I think it's the rubber band stretch. We can't stretch it on one side and keep it tight on the other side. So like you can only go as high as you're willing to go deep. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't slow. We don't have to stay there, but like got to pull that arrow back. Otherwise, how far are you going? Um, it's not an easy answer, but honest. Yeah. And I think you uh, had a similar kind of theory that every time you that there was uh, I'm not going to remember it correctly but it was something about you know every time you kind of heal an aspect of yourself you heal all of the kind of past stuff as well so it's important that you have the kind of the stretch between the two because without the stretch down here that the stretch up here Absolutely. kind of doesn't get to have the the depth to it Absolutely. Um, it's, I'm not explaining it very well at all but um that but it relates to what you said yes. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, it's funny, like we do it, let's say in, in physical progression, you have to tear a muscle in order for a muscle to recover, to get stronger. Mm -hmm. So we have to tear ourselves open for that same strength. And we judge it one side, but people who love the gym go and do it and are proud about the pain they feel the next day, the soreness, like it's interpreted as something good. So we're willing to have good pain, but yeah. then all pain is good if we know what to do with it. Yes. Yes. I completely I, I, I feel that really deeply and I kind of you know I'm somebody who does get involved in my own pain quite a lot because I just feel like there's so many diamonds in there yeah, like if we're in it already like I'm going hunting exactly yeah, like, yeah I can't stop the feeling so why don't I find out everything I need to know while I'm already in here you know yes. stress on that coal miner's light and let's find out what's in here it's here yeah. for you know someone we both love mutually our friend Gareth who works mm -hmm. in energy you know pain is an invitation for change I hate what it says it to me, but it's true. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Shari, thank you so much. I just, I could talk to you literally for hours and I would love to talk to you for hours. And I know that people would want to listen to you talk for hours as well. Um, but I have one final question for you, which is what I like to ask everyone who comes on. So if you could go back to um, your previous self, so going back to seeing the, uh, and when you said it, I was like, oh my goodness, seeing yourself on that video and just seeing that you were dead behind the eyes. If you could go back to her and tell her something, what would you want to go back and tell her? Oh, I'd give her a hug. Um, I'd give her a snack. And I think I would tell her, this is a hard one for me because again, I know what old me would have not listened to, but from now me, I guess to trust the process and trust the journey and know that she's stronger than she believes and she doesn't have to make everything okay for everyone in order to leave. Beautiful. Thank you. Ooh, I needed that. Thank you. Oh, yes. Gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. And um, I know that you might want to connect with Sherry. I'm sure you will want to connect with Sherry. We're going to put all of her details at the end as well. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here, Sherry. And I will thank see you, you so today. much for having me. Thank you. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not download the Womb app? 
It's going to help you to understand what a rebirth is and how to have one for yourself. Join in the chat rooms, download the materials and programs and get monthly coaching and monthly networking, all for the price of $6.99 a month. Download now in the App Store or Google Play Store.